Welcome to the time in our service now. We're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible or if you want to grab the Brown Pew Bible in front of you, we're beginning today in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 725. And when you found that, will you stand together with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, Luke says this, And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I know this sounds different than what Linus, it's the way he says it, but this is just, it's not the King James, it's all right. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and just ask God's blessing now as we come to this time in His word. Spirit of God, we just invite you here once again. You have already been ministering to us and speaking to us. And I ask that now as we come to your word, you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive it. That you would cause it to penetrate deeply past our our defenses, past our presuppositions, whatever it is. You just open us to receive what it is you want to accomplish. You tell us whenever you send out your word, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. As I always ask, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, it certainly isn't limited to the Christmas season, but for me, some of my most vivid memories of longing for something are attached to this time of year. Uh, So whether it was that gift that I put my initials by in the Sears catalog, did you do this? Am I dating myself here? You would put your initials by the thing that you wanted mom and dad to buy for you. Whether it was that, whether it was waiting for relatives to finally get here so we could eat, or or whether it was staying up as late as I possibly could to try and get a a picture, a vision of, of Santa and his reindeer. Never did see it. The sense of longing is connected to, to so many of these memories around this time of year. But whenever we begin to think about something like longing, I think our minds very easily move from those situations where we have kind of a joyful, hopeful resolution 
very quickly to the more painful, uh, discouraging, hopeless circumstances of life, of longings that we know have not yet been fulfilled, or maybe that we know now can never be fulfilled. Longings for things like companionship. Longings to be accepted. Maybe longings to, to finally get enough work so I can provide for my family. Or longings for rest because I've got so much work I'm burned out. Longings for justice. Longings for forgiveness. Whatever it is. I, I think given all this reality of these longings that we all feel in all kinds of different ways, I think we could say that longing is really the universal condition of the human heart. All of us experience this. And yet, when you look all the way back to the beginning of human history, you come to see that this was not always the case. That there was a time, not, not when we didn't have longings, but when our every longing could be fulfilled. As we lived in unbroken relationship with our Creator in a paradise that was unstained by sin. Now, yes, Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result of that, that relationship was lost. But because, the Bible is very clear, we were designed for relationship with God, and our, and our longings can't truly be fulfilled outside of that relationship with Him, then I think one of the things that still makes our longings still feel so deep and powerful and strong today is that it's like we still have this deep-seated memory in the back of our minds of that time when our longings could be fulfilled. It's almost as though like in our very DNA we're just aching for that time once again when our longings could be fulfilled before the enjoyment that those things we used to know was lost, before sin entered into the world and, and, and paradise, as Milton said in his 17th century poem, was lost what we learn from the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 is that in the very moment, in the very moment that paradise was lost and longing began, God promised to do something about it. He promised to send a Savior, a rescuer whose coming would make a way for that broken relationship to be restored and reconciled and our deepest longings to be fulfilled once again. And again, if you, if you didn't know this, that, that's what all this is about. That's what... We're doing around this time of year, we're celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago, God sent that rescuer. He sent the one whose coming would reconcile our relationship and restore us back to paradise with Him. And over the next five weeks, in this new teaching series, we're beginning this morning, Joy of Every Longing Heart, we're going to look at how the coming of Jesus meets some of those deep longings that each one of us experience Every day, longing for joy, longing for acceptance, longing to be fed, longing for rest, finally, longing for freedom. My prayer for each of us as we go through this series is that, first of all, it would be a time of celebration, a time of celebration as we remember that the fact and celebrate the fact that what, what Jesus coming to earth means. But also, also that it would be a time of reminding us all of the one place where the fulfillment of our deepest longings can truly be found. Because here's the thing, although that hope is found in Jesus alone, all of us, a Christian or not, we still continue to look in a thousand different places 
to try to find it. And this morning, the first thing I want to talk with you about is the way the coming of Jesus fulfills our longing for joy. It fulfills our longing for joy. Now, that, that word, joy, that's a tricky word. It's, it's a word, it's tricky even to define for a lot of people because it's, it's used, really misused in so many different ways. Uh, so, so over here you've got people who say, okay, well, if this is something that makes me happy, then joy is something that makes me really, really happy. Joy is being really, really, really happy. Uh, and then other people over here will say, no, 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 no. Joy is being involved in participating in things that, that we deeply value, we deeply appreciate. And you know what? In a sense, both of them are right. Uh, there is a sense in which joy uh, includes both feelings of, of happiness, uh, being involved, participating in things that we deeply value. And yet, what, what differentiates joy from either one of those things exclusively is that joy, at least the way the Bible defines it, is, it, it, it's about the experiences of those feelings, yes, but it's also, along with those things, it's also a, a sense of settled hope, a satisfaction, a, a contentedness that, 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 and here's the thing, that cannot be touched by the circumstances of life. It's impervious to the circumstances of life. And what I mean by that is, when you have it, joy is something that can never be taken from you. It can't be taken from you. Happiness, we all know, can be taken from you in a second. If you've ever bitten into a bad tackle, you know joy can go in a moment. But not, but not true joy. True joy that we experience not happiness. It includes happiness. It's not happiness. It's, it's why the Bible can speak of things like those who could be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And it's also how joy we see is something that can only be found in Jesus. Why? Well, because, as I said earlier, although we seek to find joy in all kinds of different things, what we find as we seek it there is that that enjoyment that we get, it's always temporary. It's always short-lived. And so we end up needing either more of that same thing in order to experience the same feeling, or we need a new thing that's going to help us have the same feeling we have with that other thing. Whatever it is, listen, I don't, I don't care. Whatever it is that you try to fill that blank with, money, sex, possessions, relationships, Whatever it is, it continues. It just We end up in this endless cul-de-sac that always just ends up leaving us right back where we began. And here's the thing. Eventually, after a short while or most times a very long while of trying, we, we come to realize that. We see that that's the truth. We, we, we see what C.S. Lewis came to realize in his own life, namely that there are desires for which nothing in this world can satisfy. Now the, the conclusion that that discovery led Lewis to was that, well then we must be made for another world. But for many of us, particularly living in this generation of supposed access that we have into everyone else's life, through social media, uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, it's, it makes you feel like you get to see everyone else's life. And when we look around, everyone looks pretty joyful, don't they? Everyone seems totally fulfilled. And so what that leads us to is not usually to seek a divine source. What we do is we come to realize not that there isn't joy beyond what we're experiencing out there. We just come to believe simply that we have no hope of experiencing it ourselves. 
Joy, that, that's, that's something other people experience, not, not me. Which, interestingly, is a joyless, despairing conclusion that connects really perfectly, actually, with the passage we're looking at this morning in Luke 2. As we look at God's good news of great joy given to shepherds, because one of the things we miss in many of our modern retellings of the Christmas story is that in the first century context, shepherds were some of the lowest, most ignored, disregarded people in Jewish society. They, they, were, they, they were, yes, they filled an essential rule. Yeah, you do your thing, but they were considered, first of all, ceremonially unclean because of their profession, which meant they were shunned by the religiously devout. They couldn't worship in the temple. And secondly, they, they were known a lot of times as, as thieves and liars, which meant they were shunned by pretty much everyone else in society as well. These are not guys you would leave your kids with. They, they, were, they were the rough guys. And so in the end, listen, when we read in, in verse 8 there, when it talks about the shepherds were living out in their fields at night, that's, that's significant. They weren't just out working the late shift. They were living out there in the fields with their sheep because that's where people wanted them. Just Can you just stay out there, out of sight, out of mind, do your sheep thing? So if there was ever a group of people who, who were also on the outside looking in to a world where everyone else seemed to be joyful and have their joys and longings fulfilled, it was these guys. And yet for reasons we'll get into this morning, these shepherds, are the very first people that God sends his joyful birth announcement to. Namely, to those who were also convinced, not that joy didn't exist, but that they had no hope of experiencing it themselves. The birth announcement comes to these guys first. And I don't understand, so we could just get why God would do that. As well as to see just how this good news of great joy can fulfill our longing for joy today as well. I want to look at our passage this morning in just two ways. We're going to talk about the announcement of joy and then the discovery of joy. Just those two things. The announcement of joy, the discovery of joy. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them up again to that passage in Luke 2? Follow along with me as we see how the coming of Jesus meets our longing for joy. Okay, so let's look first of all at the announcement of joy. The announcement of joy. Now, if you, if you didn't know, this whole gospel of Luke that we're looking at is like a weird mix between a news report and, and some kind of like a historical research paper. Luke, he, he is a first century physician. He's been traveling along with the Apostle Paul for, for a number of his missionary journeys, has been commissioned by a wealthy convert, this guy named Theophilus, to write up an orderly account of the life of Jesus so that, quote, he might know the certainty of the things that's been taught. This is what Luke is doing. He's going around interviewing people. All the people who were there, the eyewitnesses, he's putting together this orderly account to give to this man, Theophilus. That's what his gospel is all about. So Luke is setting the scene here in, in chapter 2, verse 8, of these shepherds. We read there in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch all over their flocks by night. That, that, that would have seemed very normal, very expected description for Theophilus, as it likely does for us as well. But as we read on, I want, I want to help try to shift your perspective this morning and how you read this fairly familiar Christmas text for a lot of us to how a first century reader would have heard it. 
Because when you get to verse 9 and we read, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the thing that stands out to us is what? What do we, what stands out to us when we read that? The angel, right? Boom, a big angel shows up. Whoa, that's, that's crazy. But, but while that would have been surprising to a first century reader as well, what would have been the most surprising thing to them is not first and foremost the angel, but the audience to which he's appearing to. Which means they wouldn't have read that, they wouldn't have read that as an angel of the Lord appeared to them. They would have read that as an angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel said, to you, a savior has been born. I bring you good news. A, a whole host of angels shows up to announce the royal birth of the savior of the world to shepherds. Are you kidding me? And listen, I know, I get it. In, in our modern PC, hypersensitive 21st century mindset, we, we, we want to push back and be like, so what? So what if they were shepherds? They're, they're people too, you know. They're doing an important service and they're worthy of our respect. And, and, and okay, yes. Yes, good. That, that's great. And, and you're right. But that's not how Luke is wanting to present this to us, okay? That's not what he's showing us. This is scandalous that this is happening. And so Luke is really, he's asking us to like put on his first century glasses to see how crazy this is, how unthinkable this is that God would do this. This is like sending a famous opera singer like Maria Callas to open, kick off her world too at a biker bar in Virginia. Start there. Why? Why, why would you? Why, they, why did them? I mean, this is the birth, the promised rescuer. The entire world has been longing for this. These guys are not going to get it. They're not going to understand what's being offered to them. They're not going to see how, how, how truly incredible the value of this. Why would God plan to send this good news? Literally, the Greek is euangelion, the, the gospel of great joy, to some nobody outcasts sleeping out in the field with their sheep. And my guess is those shepherds probably spent the rest of their lives asking that question too. Why, why would he do that? Well, the answer for them, as well as for us today, is first of all in verse 11, look there, which gives us the joyful content of the angelic announcement. Namely, uh, summarizing, he's here. He, he's here now. Uh, uh, now, uh, this this. This rescuer, this savior that God promised to restore mankind back to relationship with him, to restore us back to paradise. He's here now, today, right over there in that city of David. You can walk to it. He's here now. The savior, Christ, the Lord has come at last. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where, where you know, it's negotiable whether or not the opening act is going to be that good. Sometimes it is, sometimes not. But, but everyone's kind of nervously like, yeah, okay, yeah, good. But they're just waiting. When is, when is the artist going to come out? When, when is the person I want to see come out? And then what happens, right? Lights go down. And, and, and maybe it's Edge. Bono comes in. I won't run. And everyone's like, yeah, this is what I've been longing for. All that other stuff, great, but this is the moment that I've been waiting for. That's, that's what this is. That's what's going on here. I mean, how fitting is it? 
that God sends this huge choir of, of angels to rip open the sky and praise God loudly. Glory to God in the highest. The highest of praise is due to him. He's here. This promised rescuer is here at last. And yet, even more joyful than that, crazy to think about, even more joyful than that, one of the most incredible parts of this announcement is what the angel says just before verse 11 and verse 10. Look what he says. Basically, he says, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. This, this good news of great joy is for all the people. It's for you too. You're not, you're not going to be excluded from this joyful celebration. You're invited. It's for you too. A Savior is born today unto you. But for everybody here today, longing for joy yourself. Longing for joy, but feeling like you're always going to be on the outside, nose pressed against the window, looking in at other people's celebration of joy. Everyone here today, like those shepherds that stopped even hoping for joy anymore. You know what this shows us? It shows us, first of all, joy is possible. It's possible. Joy is possible for all, and it's God's intent that it would be experienced by all. This is a good news of great joy for all people. Secondly, it shows us that joy is something that God sends. And he reveals to us, okay, it's not something we can find on our own or that we can just achieve by working hard enough. You see, Jesus had to be sent. It couldn't be found. The shepherds couldn't find it just by saying, hey, maybe we should go see if the Savior is here tonight. No, he was sent and he had to be revealed. The angel had to say, this is where you'll find him. He'll be over here and you'll find him. And it'll be, these are the signs that will show you. And the good news is that he has been sent. And he has been revealed to us finally. And although the connection is only kind of implicit here in those three majestic titles given to Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Lord. Psalm 16, for instance, tells us plainly that joy is something that can only be found in the presence of God. It can't be found anywhere else. Joy is found only in his presence, which remember, up until this point, was something that we could only long for. But now, in the coming of Jesus, it's made available to us again. The door that was locked to us for centuries is being opened again because Jesus is here. Do you see, that's, that's why this angelic announcement is so joyful. It shows us its joy is possible. It's, been, it's possible for all, it's sent for all, and finally, it's secured for all and for all time because it's found in the one place in the person of Jesus Christ that is impervious to the circumstances of life because he stands sovereignly over them. All right, that's the announcement of joy. The last thing I want to look together with you at is the discovery of joy. Discovery of joy, which is what we see in the remaining verses of our passage as the angels, they take off to heaven, the shepherds, head out to see what they've just been told about, which I think, before we even get to what the shepherds saw, shows us really that, that as well as being announcement of joy, 
What the angelic messengers were also giving these shepherds was a call to joy. It was a call to joy, because if you think about it, the angels were not coming down just to dispense some helpful information. Uh, Hey, hey, FYI, pretty huge deal happening over in Bethlehem. Just wanted you to know. No, right? You get the, the news of the century dropped on your lap, and it's within walking distance. Pretty clear implication is, so get out of here. What are you still doing here? It's, it's here now. It's a call to joy. Get out of here. Go check this out, which is exactly what we see the shepherds doing. Verse 15, second half there. They say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told, about, told us about. Interesting, you see that language they use. They don't say, let's go see this thing the angels told us about. They say, let's go see this thing the Lord told us about. Which means what? They saw the angels as messengers of the, uh, from the Lord, but, but the, the message itself was from the Lord. This is, the Lord has sent this message to us, which think about that, already, already something has shifted in their understanding of God's disposition towards them. The Lord sent this message to us. Wow. And then verse 16, we see that they show the appropriate urgency as they hurry off to see this newborn Messiah. And then second half of verse 16, as well as verse 20, we see that as they get there to Mary and Joseph, everything, everything is just as they'd been told. It's just as they've been told. They find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now that's not mentioned, but clearly implied as this would have been common practice for all newborns here. And, and their testimony is that everything was just as they'd been told. And then, second half of verse 16, they see this baby lying in a manger, lying in this feeding trough for animals, which would have been common practice for no one, which is why it was such a Easily recognizable sign for them. But look with me at verse 17 and 18. You see that not only has these shepherds' understanding of God's disposition towards them shifted now as a result of the announcement of joy, their disposition towards others has also shifted now as a result of the discovery of joy. Look again, verse 17. When they had seen him, They spread the news concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them, which shows us that functionally these smelly, up-to-their-knees-in-sheep-poop outcasts, they become the first evangelists for Jesus. Not Not just to Mary and Joseph, to everyone who will listen to them. They're out there. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear about what happened. Which is a really cool pattern that you see again and again and again in the New Testament. Whenever these various people who were formerly outcasts encounter in these joyful encounters with Jesus. Namely, where they used to keep to themselves, now they're going to places where all the people are. Where they used to just kind of keep quiet and keep their heads down at parties, now they're sharing with anyone who will listen, telling them, you've got to hear this. And as a result of this, transformed disposition that they have toward others their stories are listened to their stories are incredibly compelling to other people classic example of this would be uh, the woman at the well in john 4 remember she's she's drawing water at the middle of the day in the heat of the day because she's hopeful that nobody's going to show up there she's hiding she's she's a recluse she's an outcast suddenly after this meeting with jesus Next thing, she's running out to places she never would have gone, speaking to people she never would have spoken to, saying, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
And as a result of that, many people come to believe in Jesus because of it. Same thing here. Exact same thing here. Many hear and are amazed because of this bold, joyful testimony of these outcast shepherds. The other shift we see taking place happens at the beginning of verse 20. Look there. Which says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Which tells us what? Just as the angels had shifted from messengers to worshipers of God back in verse 14, now these seekers of joy, almost like, think of it like Olympic torch runners. They've come along and they're, they're handing on the flame now to these shepherds who pick up the flame and now carry it on to the next place. These, these seekers of joy have now become joyful worshipers themselves as they return back from their discovery of joy. My question for you this morning, in light of all that, is this. If you have come to discover the joy that's found in Jesus yourself, has it transformed you? Has it transformed you into a worshiper? Has it transformed you into a witness? Or has the good news of great joy for all people really become good news of great joy that's mostly for you? Good news of great joy that's just kind of for the people here at Dunbar Heights who you know and are familiar with. Because think about it. It would have been all too easy for those shepherds to, to travel to Bethlehem, see the baby in the manger just as they've been told, and then just go back, right? Kind of like Mary, just pondering, treasuring these things in their own hearts. Yeah. Now that's not a critique of Mary, by the way. We, we read in Luke 1 that she's already been transformed into a worshiper and a witness. But I think the point here is this. Those who have received the announcement of joy, which as we said is also a call to joy, and then come to discover that joy for themselves are now called to spread that joy so that others can find it too. Which is just to say this, the discovery of joy found in Jesus is never meant to be an end in itself. It's meant to be the ignition of a flame inside of us that is meant to be shone in dark places as well as spread, passed on to all who come seeking its joyful light. Think about it. Jesus wasn't joking in Matthew 5 when he said to his followers, you are the light of the world. You are. Why? Because the joyful light of hope is now inside you. Don't hide that light under a, under a bowl. Put it up on a stand where it can be seen by all. Let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise your Father who is in heaven. Maybe you're here this morning and you are you're longing for this joy some kind of experience of joy like this, but you, you know you've been seeking it on your own terms. You've been seeking it in all these other places and just finding yourself continually frustrated, continually empty. I pray that the security of joy that we've been looking at this morning and all that the coming of Jesus means is inspiring you to finally stop pursuing those other pathways and pursue Jesus alone as the one place where your joy can truly be found. 
It's found in His presence. And a way has been made for you to know it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not longing for joy. Not because you have it already, but because you gave up hoping for joy a long time ago. And that you found, no matter how hard you've tried to convince yourself, that longing hasn't gone away. It's just continued to burn under that pile of pain and forgetfulness that you thought you buried it under, you thought you'd extinguished it under. It's still there, and it's growing stronger. I pray for you, if that's where you're at this morning, that the possibility of joy, the possibility of joy that we've looked at, as well as all that Jesus' coming means, is inspiring you just one last time to pull away those piles and risk one last reaching for joy. I mean, the shepherds, they, they would have known exactly that same fear of hoping again. They'd been told again and again, joy, that's not for you. I have total confidence in promising you, just like them, in risking to explore the announcement of joy found in Jesus. You will find joy. You will discover joy in Him. Finally, maybe you're hearing all this and agreeing. You're like, yes, joy is found in Jesus. I know. And yet, although you've discovered joy yourself in Jesus, you know that it's a flame that you've primarily warmed just yourself by. And you have not spread to others. Uh, I pray if that's where you're at, that the scent revealed nature of joy, which, by the way, is the only reason you know that joy yourself, as well as the reality of the coming of Jesus is good news for all people. Well, it would inspire you now to be God's messengers of joy to all the, the shepherds in your own life who've lost their hope of ever finding joy themselves. Did you know that you can be now God's messengers of joy to all the people that he's placed around you in your life? Psalm 145, 16, we read this. Lord, you open your hand and satisfy the desires. We could read, you satisfy the longings of every living thing. There's countless ways God does this, of course, but what we celebrate at this time of year in particular is what God did supremely for all time and for all peoples in sending Jesus, who didn't just open his hand to serve and heal and bless alone, but opened up both his hands as wide as the cross. Sacrificing his joy for all time so that you and I might know that joy for all time. That's the purpose for which he was sent. That's the reason why joy can be found nowhere else in him, because it's only in Jesus that we can be reconciled once again to that Source of all joy. Back to God Himself. Truly. He is the joy of every longing heart. I pray you know that joy in Him today. Amen.